The Hawkeye Nation podcast is happy to have Exile Brewing Company as our anchor sponsor based in Des Moines, Iowa, down at 1514 Walnut Street, established in 2012. The 2015 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winner, top 10 best-selling new craft beer in the nation for 2015, and you have that in Des Moines, Iowa, available on tap and in bottles throughout the entire state. They brew five year-round beers, 10 to 15 seasonal and limited release beers so check them out exile brewing company 1514 wallet street hn podcast with miller and dace it is selection sunday for the hawkeyes their ncaa bubble was burst but we still have selections to talk about it's the nit steve and i also go over our ncaa predictions which i got to tell you steve i did what I normally did. I went through it once. I haven't changed anything. And since we go on the record a few hours after this thing is released, um, I've spent five minutes on it. But that's how I roll. And we'll go ahead and go with that. We'll get to that bracket part of this in a second. But let's begin with the NIT. Iowa, a number one seed in the NIT, which meant they were among the last four teams left out of the NCAA uh, tournament at-large selections, which also means likely, Steve, that if they would have beaten Indiana um, or won one other game at some point in time of the year, they probably would have been in the big dance. John, I think that's exactly what it means. And, you know, for reasons only Allah knows, Peter Jock, I thought, looked like he wanted to be anywhere on planet Earth other than in that game against Indiana. Iowa's transition defense in that game, I'd call it deplorable, but that would indicate that an effort was taking place. It was non-existent. Um, Iowa seemed to think that they only had to play defense to about 16 feet out um, as Indiana just... And, and running at a guy after he's halfway in motion, half-ass sticking your hand in his face, isn't perimeter defense, in case anybody was wondering. Um, I, I just was appalled. I'm not even an Iowa fan. I was appalled watching it. Uh, given the way uh, that, that Iowa had played coming into that game, what was at stake in that game for them, it is very clear that if they had won that game, even if it was ugly, even if it was Van Halen 51-50, if they had one other win against someone in the RPI Top 100, I agree. I think they would have made the NCAA tournament. And frankly, if for Gord, if it I almost called him Gordy, uh, if it weren't for Bohannon throwing his uh, throwing you know crap in from his rectum from 25 feet, that thing would have been over long before it actually was. I mean, people forget Iowa led that game 44 to 43, I think, before the first TB timeout in the second half, and then. The Hoosiers went on a 48-18 run and crushing effort. And and that was uh, – that, I think, shows just how close this team with uh, the youngest starting five, I think, in the Big Ten in terms of uh, scoring proficiency and, if, and, and percentage. Uh, that's how close they came to making the NSA tournament. And now the argument, you know, comes to, well, are you better off, you know, having a couple of extra weeks of practice being in the NIT with a young team? been going to the NCAs and and losing in the first round and you know I used to justify these things a lot in the Tommy Emmerker era at Michigan you know what I think about the NIT I think it's the biggest joke in American sports I don't know of another sport you know and I've said this for years they don't take the eight teams that don't make the playoffs in the NHL and had, and you play for the Stanley Coaster or for the for the you know for the for the Stanley Coffee Cup or the Stanley Fork they don't take the four or five teams that don't make it in the NBA Finals and you play for the, you know, instead of Larry O'Brien Trophy, the Larry David Trophy. You know, but no, I know of no other sport that does this that matters. But 
if you're there, you might as well play well. Might as might as well use the minutes to your to your uh, to your advantage. But very seldom do teams do this. We saw this with Iowa teams under Tom Davis and Steve Alford. Uh, crowd, uh, you know, sizes at Carver Hawkeye were friends, families only. You could, I think, I can still hear Glenn Worley's mom yelling from behind the sidelines because her voice was uh, very apparent in those years. So, you know, the the motto is if you have to, if you're going to go, you might as well try to win the thing. It's just a lot of times people don't go in. They say they're going to do that, and then they actually don't. We'll see on Wednesday. Well, there's a few things that I, I would disagree with, not all of them. I, I definitely think you want to be in the NCAA and not the NIT. I think for this Iowa team, the importance of them making it to the NCAA tournament was so that next year when they're a much better team, in my opinion, they will be a much better team next year, they will have gotten the first time stuff out of the way. They won't be awed by the you know, the, the shoot around where a bunch of fans are at. They won't be wowed by the, the media responsibilities. They won't be as in awe of of the stage after having been there. So they won't get that opportunity this year. That said, Iowa's, some of Iowa's NIT crowds are the loudest crowds I can ever recall there being at Carver Hawkeye. Now, that might be, you know, be the being the king in the land of the blind with one eye, but Iowa against Dayton a few years ago was just an unbelievable crowd, and that was also coming out of the Licklider Crater years, the end of the mm-hmm. Alford era. So maybe that was just a little pent up demand. But I kind of feel that this fan base really likes this year's team a great deal and is appreciative of them because I don't believe anybody expected. If you would have told me before the year Iowa was going to be a number one team in the NIT, I'd have said, "Hmm, I." kind of was wondering if they were even going to make the NIT. And six weeks ago, they were not in any NIT bracketology um, projections for even making the NIT. So me as a fan, the fan in me. There's NIT bracketology? There is. There is. That's a whole That's wow. a whole different level of uh, Dante's Inferno that you were unaware of. I, I wish I did not know that. Can we erase that from the podcast before it goes live? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. But um You know I hate this tournament with a passion. I know and it really goes by, it, it goes back to the years when I was on sports radio and man under Brian Ellerby and Tommy Amaker, Michigan could not get in. Iowa could not get in. Iowa State got in one time under Wayne Morgan and then didn't get in for like they got in like once in five or six didn't years. Didn't Iowa and Iowa State play that year in Ames? Yeah, one year they even played in the NIT. Yes. It was just freaking Dreadful every March doing sports talk radio and have the teams you care about the most or your audience cares about not be a part of it. It just I, agree. I freaking hate this term. I think I think it comes down to the fans. And I look at it this way. If this was following the 2002-2003 season where Reggie Evans and Luke Recker were seniors, um, get it over with. I'm not interested in it. I just want it to end because that team was ranked as high as number 10 in the country uh, in December that season. But given that it's this season... And I really enjoy watching this team play. This is one of the most satisfying seasons I can recall, probably at least in four or five years, maybe since the last time they made the NIT for the first time after coming out of the Licklider Crater. I've really enjoyed watching this team. I've enjoyed watching Bohannon be, be a player that I never dreamed he would be as a senior, much less as a true freshman. I enjoy watching Tyler Cook begin to string some consistency together. I enjoy watching Cordell Pemsel, you know, look like an agile Kevin McHale old school type game to him out there, or maybe even a little 
Georges Niang, for those of you who didn't see Kevin McHale, he doesn't have the ball handling of Niang. I'm not saying he's going to be either of those players. He just has this old man part below the rim game that I, I just enjoy watching this team. And I'm glad okay. we I'm glad as a fan that we get to see them play at least one more, potentially three more home games. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to hang a banner. It doesn't mean that I'm going to brag or boast. It just means I'm not yet ready for this basketball season to be over, even if it is the NIT. Okay. You know what? I respect that. And, you know, I remember one year at KXNO, I hosted a watch party at a sports bar when Iowa State made the NIT semifinals in New York. And we packed that place out, man, and it sold out. Now, when, when the Cyclones lost, I think it was to Rutgers or somebody like that they lost to. You know, nobody was, like, yelling, fire the coach. We, we, we're, you, nobody was printing up, you know, NIT Final Four T-shirts, <laughs> you know. Somebody but, will so, but you know, But you know what? People had a good time. Yeah. It was an excuse to keep rooting for the for your favorite team going when there's a dead period of sports coming up. So, I, I, I that's okay. I, you know, it's, it's not for me, but it's not one of those things where just because I don't like it doesn't mean nobody else can. If it's up to me, what we would do is is we would we would expand the NCAA tournament and that we'd get rid of all the rest of the tournaments if you that all conference tournament and regular season champions would get automatic bids which meant in a year on a year-to-year basis we would know how many at-large bids there are there on some years so we would so instead of 64 we'd have one more round 128 and all the other all these other tournaments were gone and and then on a given year who knows you might have 50 at-large bids. You might have 35. We don't know. because that, And so you'd still have the drama of the conference tournaments, but you wouldn't say to teams like Princeton or Middle Tennessee State who went undefeated in their leagues that if they lost today, they're out. Or a Monmouth who's had this happen now to them two years in a row when they were clearly the best regular season team in their small conference. You make the regular season more meaningful. You keep the drama of the conference tournaments, and you get rid of these also-ran events that really draw flies. They, they, they have no TV ratings whatsoever. They are, they're barely an asterisk. And I had actually forgotten once that I hosted an NIT watch party, and now I am ashamed. <laughs> well, I, I think that you'll get your wish. I do think that the NCAA tournament will be expanded, and you know when and why? I think it's going to be probably around 2025 when the cable sports television package bundle is unwound and we go on demand and there will be very few there will be very few high rights fees properties left. You and I are going to podcast on this in a couple of weeks when we talk about, you know, the end of the cable bundle is drawing nigh. You can see it from here. Um, when, you know, you sent me an article today that, you know, you still have a Rutgers athletic department being $25 million, operating $25 million or so a year in the red should never happen. And when the, when the sports rights bubble bursts for the cable bundle, that, Steve, is when I think you're going to get the field expanded. I don't know what the number is going to be because you know who holds the rights to the NIT and who airs all those games. ESPN. Yeah, the NCAA does now. Yeah, well, ESPN. ESPN. So it's it's basically yep. a business decision. They're double dipping. That's why they do it. And when that when that golden goose is slain, then there will be no more financial uh, impetus to do it to break it up, and it'll all be under one roof. That's when it will happen. Well, and just to, just to reinforce what you just said, the annual rights fees, even though college football on a week to week basis, its ratings. I mean, it's way over the top right. compared to college basketball. Right. In fact, there was some December bowl game this year on ESPN that outdrew, and I mean demonstrably outdrew, 
UCLA and Kentucky in, in college basketball in prime time on CBS, okay? That notwithstanding, the rights fees for the NCAA tournament are almost – a hundred or almost two hundred million dollars higher mm-hmm. than they are for the college football playoffs. So that would reinforce what you just said. All right, Iowa will play against South Dakota um, in their quadrant. Iowa, the number one seed, South Dakota. I think the you know they were uh, champions of their conference. What was that conference? Was it the Big Sky? That's the Summit or the Big Sky? Yes. Yeah, Big Sky. Um, the big sky. They're. The only intrigue, in my opinion, is their point guard is Trey Dickerson, who was with Iowa for a cup of coffee one year and then transferred. Uh, he leads the, them in scoring and assists. If Iowa wins, the the next likely opponent, well, the next opponent will be either the TCU or Fresno State winner. I think that would be TCU. TCU is 41 in Pomeroy. Also, Stephen, Iowa's quadrant. Iowa has the fourth best Pomeroy ranking in their quadrant, and they're the number one seed. Clemson has the top ranking in Iowa's quadrant. They're the 35th seed. They're the highest Pomeroy team not to make it in to the NCAA tournament this year uh, at 35. So that is, gosh, is there anything on that? NIT rules this year, two 10-minute segments each half. It's basically quarters. Team fouls reset to zero at the end of each quarter. Teams are limited to four personal slash technical fouls per segment. Each additional foul is a two-shot free throw, so there's no one-and-ones. Uh, in overtime, three fouls per segment, also no one-and-one. So I don't know why. I, I'm not sure the, the reasoning for that. Maybe they're Yeah, looking. I'm okay with all those rules. That's kind of the rules the women are playing with now, except I would go back to the one-and-ones. I agree. I'd get rid of the double bonuses. I thought that would make the games much more exciting, make teams earning at the free throw line at the end. Uh, I, I, I mean, you know, listen, if, if we had the double bonus – 20, 35 years ago, we probably wouldn't have had one of the greatest magical runs in the history of the tournament with NC State in 1983. Okay, so I, I like just getting rid of the. I, I'd go the other way, actually. I'd get rid of double bonuses and everything's one. Everything, I, I agree. Unless, unless it's a shooting foul, obviously. I agree with that. I, I think that that. No question about it. It just adds to the skill of the game. You're taking away a skill component of the game. Iowa plays Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Central. That game is on ESPN2. Now let's talk about the tournament that everybody's going to be talking about, and that's the reality of it, and that is the NCAA tournament. Um, Number one seeds Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. I just I can't stand Gonzaga. Um, Just feel like they're overrated many years, but maybe I'm wrong about that. You always have some fun stocking stuffers for the for the NCAA tournament. So before Steve, we let folks know ours. Or do you want to talk about the Big Ten aspect of this first before we go there? Which which way would you like to go? Let's start. Let, let's let's take a look at the bracket, you know, from a analysis standpoint. Okay. And the Big Ten in particular first. Okay. Well, the Big Ten, I don't think anybody was defending the Big Ten for having a great season. I'm not sure they are as down as much as it seemed like the selection committee made them out to be. Uh, Wisconsin was the number two seed. In the uh, Big Ten tournament, they finished second place in the Big Ten this year. They were rewarded with an eight seed. They lost to Michigan. That is, that is outrageous. Yeah, that that right there. That was the first Big Ten team that showed up, and I tweeted out, "Uh oh." Pretty much, if you had any, you know, infinitesimal hopes that Iowa was going to make it in, that pretty much popped it right there. Uh, at least in my opinion, you all. Also- I have I have no idea, and and I thought overall they did okay with this field. You know, I thought I thought last year was not good. I think the field is about, about perfect. Yeah, this year, and I, I don't even have a problem with too much of the seating. 
You know, like, I don't get how you make Creighton a six seed. They've been nothing since they lost that point guard. But I also understand having filled out one of these myself. And in case anybody was wondering, the bracketology we did it here two weeks ago, I got 57 of the 68 teams right before a single conference tournament game was played. That's pretty good. I know that you wouldn't, I know that you wouldn't got Joe Lenardi's bracket from two weeks ago, same day I did mine. He got 58 of those teams. I got one less team. So we got 85% of the bracket right 14 days ago. I got 84%. This is the most overrated punditry, expertise in all of media, sports, political, otherwise. It's page views, if bro. I'm just telling you, what's that? It's page views. I, I, would, I would wager well, that the Bracketology page on ESPN is one of the five most visited ESPN pages all year long. I don't think there's any question. In fact, if I had waited and done my bracket today, I'd have got them all right because I would not have had Syracuse in. Yeah. I'd have gotten all of them right. So, I mean, there is, I, I would imagine there's almost nobody listening who had, to our podcast who has full motor function capability. That if we waited and said, okay, at 4 o'clock on Sunday, take an hour and a half before the brackets come out and, and predict the bracket, could not get almost every team right once all the games are known. Okay? Well, you I get mean, 32 beyond, free ones. This with, is beyond preposterous. Right. I agree. I agree with you. You get 32 free ones for the, um, comp, the automatic bids. So then you got um, 36 that you have to go and fill out. And pretty much anybody that watches two or three games a year and can read with an internet site and look at rankings and Ken Pomeroy and such, exactly. you're, you're going to yep. get 30 of the, of the 36, I would think. So over, overall, I didn't have a problem. I, I, I know when you have certain rules, like a team from another conference can't play another team in their conference who's a top four seed until the Sweet 16. And, and, all the, and the pods, it's not as easy to balance a bracket as even it used to be. So, you know, if, it, if a Creighton is a six because there's six teams out of the Big East when normally there might be four or five, I get that, okay? Here's what I don't get. And, and I don't have too many complaints, but the, the, the Big Ten seeding might be the only one I have. How in the world you justify putting Minnesota three seed lines above Wisconsin, I don't understand. They played once, Wisconsin beat them in their barn. Wisconsin finished a game ahead, a game behind the Big Ten champion in the regular season. One game away from winning the Big Ten tournament. How in the world Minnesota is three seed lines above them and Wisconsin's in the same sub-bracket sub, uh, sub as the number one overall seed in the tournament? I don't get that. I don't get how Minnesota's two seed lines ahead of Michigan, but the thing with Wisconsin I really don't understand. I didn't get that draw for Minnesota at all, and particularly because of injury. You know, Oregon was being talked about as a number one seed before this weekend, and then Boucher, their third-leading scorer, he blew out his ACL first game of the Pac-12 tournament out for the year. They dropped to a three seed. Minnesota loses their best three-point shooter against Michigan. Or, the, or no, against uh, Michigan State, actually, because he didn't play against Michigan. So they lose their best three-point shooter against Michigan, against Michigan State, and they're still a five seed. I didn't understand that one at all. But really, that's probably the only real complaint about the whole bracket I have. There's things I would have done differently, but then that would have just generated new complaints. The one thing that just doesn't make sense at all is Minnesota seeding compared to, say, a, a Wisconsin's. Yeah, and Minnesota was done no favors by being a five. Maybe they were almost pushed up to the five. Maybe they were really a six. But because of these seedings and conference rules, et cetera, and the pod system, they, they got Middle Tennessee State out of 12 and that middle tennessee state is a very good basketball team and that is yeah we learned that last year when they they cost people a lot of money 
last year yeah. across the country. They, they did indeed. And I heard Jay Billis say this, the very brief snippets of analysis that I was able to see, maybe a combined 10 minutes, um, as we're on vacation and had to go out fishing in 40-degree weather. Um, I think that the tournament should be seeded regardless of conference affiliation. If you happen to draw a conference team in the first round, so what? Just S-curve the whole thing and just line it up and quit worrying about these, you know, finagling these seed lines and whatever, what have you. I, I, I just, agree with that. I, I don't like that. I agree with that, particularly in this era where, you know, when we were growing up, you had, you had, you had Alaska and Hawaii in the NIT, and you had the Rainbow Classic at Christmas, at, over Christmas. And that was it for, for tournaments where you saw a lot of teams' intersectional matchups unless you got an Illinois-Missouri on an annual basis or a Kentucky-Indiana. That was pretty much it, you know. Um, and, and all the power schools, you know, Iowa would always play Iowa State and then play a North Carolina. And, you know, Michigan would play a Syracuse home-and-home. Home. So the power schools would, would have an in-state rival and then another home-and-home home they would play around the country. But we didn't get the benefit of all the litany of intersectional matchup matchups we get now because of the battle for Atlantis, the 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 San Juan shootout, and everything else that we have now. So I don't think it. I don't. I don't think it matters that much anymore. You know, having teams not playing the same teams they played in the conference season during the regular season because they're playing so many of these teams now anyway, each other. So if you're going to do it that way, if the regular season's going to be everybody's pretty much playing everybody now, then let's just have a true S curve. I agree with Jay on this, and let's just seed the team one through sixty-eight accordingly. Yep, indeed. Do you want to do your uh, little draft, you, your your bracket uh, suggestions now, or should we do it after we embarrass ourselves with our picks? No, let's do it now, and then we'll see how how much we in, in our actual picks we actually. Well, I'm sure that I mean this is this is your Bible, so I'm sure you adhere to it very strictly all the way down. So I'll be today's idiot. All right. Well, here's some recent trends to add to the Bible. Okay, some recent ones. In the last five years, four number three seeds have lost in the first round. And so, you know, it's always been that 5-12 matchup that everybody always looks at for the upsets, right? And maybe a 4-13, mm-hmm. but more and more you're seeing 14s beating threes. So keep that in mind. Under, under Bill Self, Kansas has been a number one seed six other times other than this year. They made the final four only once of those six the last eight years a team seated seventh or lower has at least made the elite eight so in your picks you have you better have at least one team seated seventh or lower making it to at least the elite eight that's happened eight years in a row every year since the play-in round began at least one of those teams has made it to the round of 32 meaning they won the next game after winning the play-in game as well Hmm. So you still with me on that? Uh, I don't believe so. I think I, I parted ways with you at that point in time. All right. So in, in the round of 64, now these are trends that go back to the start of the – I consider the modern era of the tournament 85 when we first went to 64 teams. Okay? Mm-hmm. So all of these trends are since 1985. <clears throat> so we're going back now. What's that? 36, 37 years. It's 1985? 36 years. Yeah, because we haven't 32. played this year's tournament, right? 32. Oh, yeah, my math is terrible. You're right, 32. Actually, 31, because we haven't played this year's tournament yet. But it would be 32 <laughs> tournaments, you're right. Let me stop now because I'm an idiot. Anyway, round of 64, all-time number 16 seeds 
are O for our are O and one twenty four. Mm-hmm. Princeton's the only one that ever came close against Georgetown in eighty nine. Number fifteen seeds have won seven times. So so you also need to pick at least one number thirteen or number fourteen seed to win in the round of sixty four. At least one top four seed is lost in the first round twenty seven of these thirty two years. Mm. 13 and 14 seeds combined to win 18% of first-round games. That's about one in five. Those are pretty good odds, actually. Okay? Also, don't be shy about picking upsets uh, number 12 through number nine. Number 12 seeds have won at least one game in 24 of the last 27 years. They didn't win any of the games last year, though. How about that? Twelve, five, five seeds won every one of the matchups last year. First time that's ever happened. Number nine seeds have won nearly 50% versus eight seeds. Which which means eight seeds have won nearly 50% versus nine seeds. Yes. That's literally a coin flip of those eight, nine games. Absolutely. Now, when you get to the round of 32, or we used to call we were growing up the second round, if you advance number one seeds to the Sweet 16 in almost all cases, all time since 1985, number one seeds have gone to the Sweet 16 87% Mm, of the time. Okay. Keep advancing any 12 seeds you pick to win in round one, because get this, almost half the time a 12 seed wins in the first round, they win in the, in the next round as well. I got to tell you, my bracket is, is lining digit, up with your Bibles right now, so keep going. Is it? Yes. A double-digit seed has made the Sweet 16 29 of the last 32 years, hmm. all right? Pick at least one upset of a number two or a number three seed. Only once in 31 years has the top three seeds get to the Sweet 16 in every region. Only one time. Hmm. Do not pick any seed worse than a 12 to win in the round of 32. Less than 2%. Only 9 of 496 teams seeded 12th or lower advanced past the round of 32. Hmm. Okay? Now, when you get to the Sweet 16... Advance exactly three number one seeds in the Elite Eight. Seventy, because why? Seventy percent of number one seeds make, have made the Elite Eight. That's a higher percentage than number five seeds win a single game. Just to put that in perspective. Hmm. Advance no team worse than a number eleven seed in the Elite into the Elite Eight. Twenty-six seeds worse than eleven have made it to the Sweet Sixteen, but only one Elite Eight team out of a total of 248 has been seeded worse than an 11. Elite eight picks. Advance no team worse than a number six seed. Or I'm sorry, advance one or two number, six, number one seeds to the final four. The final four has included exactly one or two number one seeds all but seven times since 1985. Advance no team as a worse seed than a number nine to the final four. Only three. Now we're going to go back to 1979 when they first started seeding teams. That's the Magic and Bird year. That's the first time they ever seeded the teams. Only three of 148 Final Four teams have been seeded worse than a number nine. Only three. Uh, And you're going to the Final Four. Advance no team worse than a number six seed to the championship game. Only two championship games have had any team worse than a number six seed in the last 30 years. Villanova would be one of them as in 1985 when they won it, for example. Do not advance two number one seats to the championship game. 
Since tournament seeding began in 1979, number one seeds have faced off in the finals only seven times. Hmm. Championship game pick, pick a number four seed or better to win it all when you look at history. All right, so those are all of the trends heading in to this tournament. Now, I'm going to say this, though. This year, I put the least amount of stock into my Bible as I ever have. Why? Because I've never won a damn pool, ever, in my entire life. (laughs) Ever. Ever. I've been picking these trends forever. So this year, I put more of an emphasis on the more recent trends. I also think we're looking at a year where a team that had eight losses almost became a number one seed. They Mm -hmm. were a fifth seed in their conference tournament. We're looking at a year where a team with 15 losses, the most ever, was not even on the bubble as an at-large team. They were given a number nine seed. They didn't even play their way in. All right? So, I I mean, we're looking at a team that, I think, doesn't Ken Palm have Wichita State 10th in the country? Yeah. Or uh, very high. Very high. They're they're a number 10 seed. So, I think think there's enough craziness this year, and, and it's been a crazy year in sports, that I've I've gone by these trends the the least amount in my bracket this year than I ever have. So I just want to say that state say that from the outset. Well, I, I like this because I I would never pick my bracket based on any trends like that because I I find those things I find those things to be interesting anecdotes in hindsight and I'm actually glad that a lot of my picks happen to line up with you know statistical historic trends but as I've said often history doesn't wear a uniform I think those are nice aggregate statistics I don't know if they are necessarily predictive factors that said um the numbers are on my side as I look at my bracket this year because I, I have a lot of those things matching up. I think the only thing I didn't have was I did not have one of the playing teams advancing. Out of all of the trends that you picked, I think I have every other trend as I just looked at everything I had. So so when you pick your bracket, you actually kind of apply some of those trends to your bracket. By the way, I've won like five or six of these in my career. In the past, I have. I have finished second numerous times, but I've never won one. Uh, it, but this year I went I, – I did factor in the more recent trends because I think they're more reflective of the state of the game going yeah. on right now Yeah. Uh, with one and dones and everything else. But other than that – and I've watched – I watched a lot. This – it just my, – my new show, my schedule's freer. Um, and I went through that three weeks, right? Michigan just infuriated me, so I didn't watch them at all. But I watched a ton of other basketball. So, I, you know, other than the year we had Trey Burke and, and we were number one or two in the country most of the year, I have probably watched more regular season college basketball this year than that year, and that was four years ago. So I went this year by um, eye test more than trends, which you know I, don't, I do not typically do, but I'm doing that this year, yeah. only because playing the trends hasn't worked for me, and I'm 43 years old yeah, now. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's like that you're like an NCAA tournament virgin at 43, and that's pretty bad. Uh, let's go to the East bracket. Let's start. Let's I am get, a 40-year-old virgin. Yes. yes, you are. Let's go like the first uh, the first one, two, three, four games in the East. Villanova number one seed. I've got them advancing over the play-in. I've got Wisconsin over Virginia Tech, uh, Virginia over uh, UNCW, and then Florida over another directional um, ETSU acronym. I, I'm with you on all of these games, except I have East Tennessee State in the 13-4 matchup, pulling the upset. 27-win team. They 
have a history of doing this in the NCAA tournament. They've done it before. Florida lost one of their best players to injury about a month ago. They've not. They've just not been the same team. They've lost to Vanderbilt, for example, three times since then. They were in the catbird seat in the SEC race, ended up losing that uh, since that injury. I just don't think they're the same team. Uh, so I'm going with I'm going with that one upset. Other than that, my top half of my East bracket looks the same as yours. All right, next up, I've got Southern Miss uh, winning against the playing game, which I bet you go the other way. Baylor uh, winning over NMSU, South Carolina over Marquette, and then Duke over Troy. Uh, we look exactly the same here, actually. I I'm high on S- Southern Miss. Uh, I think they're a team similar to what you see out of Iowa State. What Seth Greenberg on ESPN calls positionless basketball, sort of like the flying Illini when we were kids. Mm-hmm. A bunch of guys between 6'2 and 6'8 that can play multiple positions and create matchup problems. I like their team a lot. I'm going with Baylor, although I looked a lot at New Mexico State. They've been in the tournament five the last six years. Baylor, we know they've made a couple of – for Baylor, it's either first round or the Elite Eight, right? That seems to be what happens to them. And they don't really have a point guard. So I looked at that upset a lot. I just didn't quite pull the trigger. And, I mean, South Carolina is basically playing a home game, and and so is Duke. Back to the top here in the east, and we'll finish these regions out. I've got Villanova beating Wisconsin. I've got Virginia beating Florida. Uh, Then I have uh, Baylor beating Southern Miss, and then Duke beating South Carolina. We're going to have some difference. We're going to have a big difference here. I think the first number one seed goes down here. I like Wisconsin to upset Villanova, and here's why. I think, boy, when I looked at the reaction those Wisconsin players had when that number eight seed popped up, you have four senior starters on that team. Five, actually. Five senior starters on that team. So these are guys that have been to Final Fours, won Big Ten championships. I think they will play with a huge chip on their shoulder. Villanova's not as good as they were last year. I, I know they won the 13 games against the RPI Top 50, and that's great. They play six guys, basically. They're not nearly as deep. I don't think they have the kind of the, they necessarily that point guard who was phenomenal for them last year, whose name I can't pronounce. He was a once-in-a-generation kind of leader for that program. They don't have him. And and they want to play a kind of grinded-out game like Wisconsin does. And so I, I'm just going to take the pride factor. I think we have forgotten that Wisconsin still has a really good basketball team. And I think they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder, upset the defending national champions. Other than that, I've got Virginia, SMU, and Duke, just like you do. Um, Ethan Happ, he's a he's a sophomore starter for Wisconsin, so four. So I was right. Four, it was four, yep. four seniors. Yeah, All right, back to the top. I've got Villanova beating Virginia, and then I've got Duke beating Baylor. I remember, I said at least one number, at least one seed, seven or greater, has made it to the Elite Eight eight years in a row. So I'm picking two of them, the two that I think have the best chances to do it. One of them's here. I'm getting Wisconsin to beat Virginia. To me, Wisconsin and Virginia are the same team. Wisconsin just has an Ethan Happ, and Virginia doesn't have that. Hell, I don't think Virginia has a Bronson Kinnick, let alone an Ethan Happ. So I'm going with Wisconsin over Virginia, and the first one to 45 in a peach basket wins that game. And then I got Duke over SMU, but I'm telling you, that's a a tough matchup for Duke. I mean, SMU is very similar to Duke. Duke plays positionless basketball, too. It's going to be fun watching those two teams just sort of spread each other go one-on-one down at each end of the court but in the end i'll just take the team that has duke on the front of the jersey that they they're the ones that make the plays down the stretch to get the w yeah but i have duke uh advancing to the final four i have them beating villanova i have duke beating wisconsin in the elite eight in madison square garden 
but we both have the Blue Devils coming out of this region. Okay, go to the west, which is on the left side of your bracket. The bottom left side of your bracket, the east was on the upper left. So the west is going to wind up facing the east once we get to the final four. Um, I've got Gonzaga over San Diego State. I've got Vanderbilt over Northwestern, Notre Dame over Princeton, and West Virginia over Bucknell. Only difference we have here is I like Northwestern. I've seen Vanderbilt play a couple of times recently. I think they're largely a product of what is a very weak SEC. Uh, not, I would say the Big Ten was watered down. It wasn't as good at the top, but it was deep. I just think the SEC is weak. I also think Northwestern, I think they're going to be kind of like Michigan was this, year, this week in the Big Ten tournament. They got the monkey off their back. I thought it was interesting. I listened to an interview this morning with Chris Collins, and it was two or three weeks ago here on the podcast. I said, hey, far be it for me to tell a guy to coach his team, but I think he's making a mistake focus it was right after they blew that game against indiana we did that podcast mm-hmm. and i said i think i think they're making a mistake not addressing head-on the elephant in the room because one of the things we've talked about on this podcast since january is the fear that all of these sports media alums once north northwestern got close the amount of pressure and hype that they would put on that team they would just suffocate from it and you know collins and i said on the podcast i i think collins ought to just say hey that's what we're playing for and get rid of this one and it's one game at a time garbage when we all know that that's a farce mm-hmm. and he said on, on the interview i listened to this morning before church that he did that actually after the indiana game he finally said you know what it's going into march let's just be honest with the kids we're playing for history and that really turned their team around so i think they get a w and other than that though we agree on the rest of these games Okay, next set of games in the West Regional. Number six seed, Maryland. I have them beating Xavier. Um, I've got Florida Gulf Coast knocking off number three seeded Florida State. That's a 14 over a three. Um, I have uh, St. Mary's over Virginia, uh, VCU, 7-10 game. Then I've got Arizona beating North Dakota, their first ever NCAA tournament. Jeff Horner is an assistant. Brian Jones, former Iowa assistant, is a head coach, their first ever bid. But they are going to lose to Sean Miller's Arizona Wildcats. We don't have too many differences here. I'm with you on Florida Gulf Coast. I don't think they're quite as athletic as the team a few years ago that went to the Sweet 16, but they still get up and down the floor. Florida State wasn't quite Syracuse in that, you know, they didn't do anything from Syracuse, if they had gotten in, would have been the first team ever to get an at-large berth with less than three wins away from home. Florida State wasn't that bad, but, man, they were dramatically different away from Tallahassee than they were when they played at home. So... What did we say? Four out of the last five years, a three is lost in the first round. I'm with you. I think this is the best chance. These two teams, you give the underdog from in-state that you don't want to play, and they're playing this game in Orlando. This just smells like an ambush for the Seminoles. So I'm going with Florida Gulf Coast. Xavier's not been the same since they lost their point guard. I think Melo Trimble finds a way to win it for Maryland at the end. I'll take VCU only to give myself another upset because I think whoever comes out of this game isn't beating Arizona anyway, so it's a calculated risk. Right. Those are good risks to take. On the top side, this is um, – I'm going way off the script with you. I've got Vanderbilt beating Gonzaga, 9 over a 1. North Dakota beating West Virginia – or Notre Dame, rather, beating West Virginia. Then I've got Maryland going to the Sweet 16, beating Florida Gulf Coast, and Arizona beating St. Mary's. I'll give you – that took some nards, man, taking Vanderbilt. I'll just tell you this. That's a terrible matchup. Like, I can see Wisconsin in the matchup against Villanova. That is a terrible matchup for Vanderbilt. But credit to you, man. That took some stones to make that pick. It took me and three I'm seconds. With, <laughs> I'm going with Gonzaga. I like Notre Dame as well. 
Uh, and I've got Maryland and Arizona at the bottom of the bracket, just the same as you. Yeah, and I, I took that because I felt Notre Dame was my backstop. I've watched them play several times this year. Not that I've tuned into a Notre Dame game. They just happened to be on TV, and I was, you know, there's nothing else on. Like last night, as we record this on Selection Sunday, I watched the Notre Dame-Duke uh, ACC championship game, and just th- that team shoots 80% from the free throw line. I really like that. Uh, they've got some capable players. So I've got Notre Dame beating Vanderbilt and advancing to the Elite eight and then i've got arizona is notre dame basically the same team every year that just the names change yes isn't it essentially like it's like three or four white guys surrounding outside again with an undersized big this year it's bonzi colson but it's the same team every year isn't it yeah, just three or four five, three or four three-point shooters and an undersized guy in the in, in, in the lane and you know they're always good for a sweet 16 or an elite eight they don't ever make it past that they they're not a bad tournament team one every year. final four no but they never get to the Final Four. Only one ever. Digger Phelps, 1978. That's the only time they've ever made it to a Final yeah. Four in the history yeah. program. And I've got them playing Arizona. I've got Gonzaga in Arizona. I've yep. got Gonzaga in Arizona in my Elite Eight. I think Gonzaga beats Arizona again. I got Gonzaga in the Final Four. I have Arizona. I finally get off this snide. They finally get off the snide. They've been so close. I think this is the year. They've never made it to the Final Four? No, the clo- still the closest they came was their very first Cinderella run when Dan Munson was the coach. Wow. They got to the Elite Eight, and they they lost at, at the at the end of the, barely at the end to eventual national champion Connecticut. That was back in 1999. That hmm. was Richard Hamilton, Khalid Hill. Was that was on that? Uh, that's maybe that wasn't his name. It's some kind of other funky name. But that that was the Connecticut team that upset Duke for Khalid the championship. Khalid Alameen, thank you. Yeah, they beat Shane Battier, Jason Williams. That Duke team was loaded that they beat. Yeah, yeah. I said Khalid Alameen. Uh, KU winning in the Midwest bracket. That's where we're heading <laughs> next. Upper right-hand corner of your brackets if you're following along. I've got Kansas uh, beating the play-in game there. I've got Michigan State beating Miami. I've got Iowa State over Nevada and then Purdue um, advancing to the next round as well. Ditto. I'm with you on every one of those picks. All right. Next up, uh, I've got Rhode Island, eleven uh, seed, beating Creighton. Uh, Oregon beating Iona. And then Oklahoma State, I've got them beating Michigan. And Louisville uh, advancing over the uh, – was at Jacksonville State. I've watched Oklahoma State play a lot, watched them play in person a couple of weeks ago down at Gallagher-Iba against Kansas. And, my gosh, what an, what an amazing arena for noise when their fans fill that place up and it was full that night. I mean, the, the ceilings are angled and baffled to create more noise. Uh, just a great mm-hmm. snake pit of, of a gym. And I like – I like the makeup of their team. Um, they they they're very they're I, I think they're a more athletic team. Um, you know, players one through eight than Michigan. I don't think that they can shoot players one through eight the way that Michigan can. And Michigan's on a great run. Can they continue it? I don't know. Just going with a hunch there. Well, this is one of the best games in the first round. Um, Oklahoma State's number one in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency ratings in the country. Michigan is fifth though. Now, Oklahoma State's 133rd in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency ratings. Michigan is 69th, I think. So, And they were 128th six weeks ago, so they've really improved. To me, the backcourts are a wash. I mean, you have uh, the, the James kid, I think that's his name, who's an All-American. And Derek Walton is playing like one right now. The, what I wonder about, there's two things I wonder about. Personnel, I don't know 
who woke, and I've seen Oklahoma State play numerous times watching Iowa State in the Big 12. I don't know how they check Mo Wagner and DJ Wilson. That I don't see. I, I don't. I think those two guys are way too versatile and athletic for him. But the thing I wonder about Michigan, you know, the two times recently we've had power conference teams go on this Cinderella run in a conference tournament. And in fairness to Michigan, they were playing really good before the Big Ten tournament. It's like they just suddenly turned it on this weekend. They did take it to a different level. But, you know, the last two times we've seen power conference teams go on this run. You go back to 2006, Syracuse, the Jerry McNamara team, won the Big East tournament as the lowest-seeded team ever, and they were the hot team going into the NCAAs, lost to Vermont in the first round. They, they were spent, done. They spent it all at Madison Square Garden. But a few years later, 2011, people thought the same thing was going to happen with UConn. Kemba Walker. Remember, they won five games in five days to yep. win the Big East. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And then everybody thought they're done. Well, they won six more in a row to win the national championship. So if I had to guess, Michigan either loses in this game or – we see them in the Elite Eight. They're that they're that team's right seated seventh or lower. Um, that that you know makes that run to the Elite Eight that we've seen eight years in a row. I picked against them in the Big Ten tournament. I'm not doing it again. I'll take them here against Oklahoma State. But I do think this is one of the better games in the first round. Um, you know, if if you know if we were talking earlier, some games are first to fifty. First one to eighty wins this one, I think. And I, other than that, the rest of my bracket here looks the same as yours. Back to the top in the Midwest. I'll take uh, KU over Michigan State. Iowa, uh, Iowa State over Purdue. I think that's a bad matchup for Purdue, even though Purdue has the big man in the middle. This tournament is about guards and perimeter play. Iowa State is playing really, really well right now, and they may have the best point guard of, that's in the entire field. Um, I've got Oregon beating Rhode Island. I almost went with Rhode Island here. And then I've got Louisville beating Oklahoma State. Boy, we're really similar again. I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, to me... Iowa State just is the same team in some respects. Uh, they, they do the same thing to Purdue that Michigan did to them twice. And that is you just drag both you, – you drag one Haas or, or Swanigan, one of the, the two of them, out of the lane because they have to defend one of, your, one of your stretch threes or fours. One of those guys has to come out of the lane to defend one of your stretch threes and fours. And after you do that, well, then you're just more athletic than their guards are, and you break them down. We've seen Michigan do, do this to Purdue twice in the last two weeks. I don't know why Iowa State could not do the exact same thing. So I'm with you on, on that matchup. I almost went with Rhode Island over Oregon as well. Um, and Oregon's a team before the Boucher law, uh, injury. I, I could have thought maybe picking for the national championship, but I think that's going to be a detrimental loss for them. And I think I think Michigan is a matches up well with Louisville. Uh, if they can get past the first round. Because you look at the way that Louisville wants to get up and down the court. They, they want to press more so than play half-court defense. I think that fits right into where Michigan wants to go. So I'll take the Wolverines here. Um, but I do think Oklahoma Louisville is a better matchup for Oklahoma State than Louisville is for Michigan. So if I had picked Oklahoma State here, I would have picked Louisville instead. All right, back to the top. I've got Kansas beating Iowa State, Louisville beating Oregon, and then I've got KU beating Louisville to go to the Final Four. Can you imagine Kansas and Iowa State in Kansas City in the NCAA tournament? Yeah. This is the one team in the country where Kansas does not have a home court advantage in this matchup. It's it's at best neutral. And I think, and and I'm taking Iowa State here because I'm playing the odds. One time in six years, they've been a number one seed under Bill Self. They've been in the Final Four. So I'm going to play the odds here. I'm going to take Iowa State. Um, 
and I'm going to take Michigan over a over an injured Oregon team, which gives me uh, a very difficult Elite Eight matchup with Michigan and Iowa State and Kansas City. But I think I think this is where I'm not sure who Michigan has that can check uh, Deontay Burton. Uh, and it, and it's not the same as well. Zach Irvin checked what's his face for Minnesota. The problem with that is that you need Zach Irvin to chase Matt Thomas and and these other three point shooters around as well. I think there's just one too many offensive weapons on the floor for Iowa State to spread Michigan out. Plus, I think they have a huge home court advantage in this scenario. So I'm for the first time ever. I didn't even pick the Tinsley Pfizer Cyclones because I thought they were going to get smashed by Sparty in the, in the Palace. For the first time ever, I'm taking Iowa State to go to the Final Four. In the history of Homer brackets, this is the Homerus. I, I don't really know many people that have two favorite teams the way that you do. I, mean, I know Michigan's your favorite and Iowa State you're strongly root for. I don't think I've ever seen anyone over the age of 10 pick um, their two favorite teams in the, the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. So congratulations. Well, last week, you know, you know screw you, you man, with that crap. <laughs> I mean, come on. I can't win. Last week I picked Michigan to lose in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Why wasn't I Omar then? A month, six weeks ago, I thought their program was in the toilet and they needed a coaching change. Why wasn't I Homer then? I can't win. I mean, we're talking about if you look at if you look at the makeups of the kinds of teams that go on runs, forget the brand names in the front. Who are they? Strong guard play loaded with seniors. What's Michigan and Ohio? What's Michigan and Iowa State, especially Iowa State? They fit those profiles, do they not? Absolutely, they do. So if I if it if everything were the same, if it was the, the, everything were the same, makeups of the teams, everything else, but it was instead of Michigan, it was Michigan State, and instead of Iowa State, it was uh, Oklahoma. Would you be arguing with me right now? No. Okay. So thank you. That's I think in the over one thousand radio slash radio slows shows slash podcasts we've done. That's the first screw you on the record. So you are breaking <laughs> all sorts of trends. <laughs> oh, down to down. did you see Calipari do that to Jay Billis tonight? No, I did not. Oh, he comes right on there. He goes, I haven't had a chance to watch you guys as I was, I was on a plane. But no, and Jay, I'm sure he was up there defending Duke and why they should have been a number one seed. And Billis got mad. He's like, oh, come on, man. Don't pull that crap. I've defended you, too. I thought that was kind of funny. That's pretty good. I'll have to watch that. Uh, down to the South Bracket yeah, so you, made, you made me think about that when you said that to me. That's why I did that. <laughs> uh, North Carolina winning their first round against Texas Southern. Uh, then I've got Seton Hall over Arkansas. Uh, Middle Tennessee State I've got beating Minnesota. And then Butler beating Winthrop. We have all the exact same picks here. Yeah, I think – I think Minnesota's really limited with the loss uh, of their one senior starter, who was also their best three-point shooter. Now they basically have a six-and-a-half-man six rotation. And also I think that allows teams to really gang up on Nate Mason as sort of their lone uh, perimeter threat out there. So I'm with you. I, I got the same four picks here. Down the bottom side, I really almost went with the playing winner here, but I'll have Cincinnati over the playing winner, Wake Forest um, or Kansas State. Um, and then I've got UCLA beating Kent State. I've got Wichita State beating Dayton. And then Kentucky uh, beating, was that North Kentucky, Northern Kentucky? Yep. This is where I have the play-in winner winning a game. I thought you um, 
and Cincinnati is a team that's known for flameouts in the NCAAs. We've seen that before. So I'm going to take the play-in winner here. Other than that, I've got UCLA. I also have Wichita State, and I have Kentucky. In fact, one of the biggest favorites, who's not one of the top uh, two seeds in the first round, is Wichita State's like a full seven-point favorite or something like that over Dayton. It's not a bad pick. We'll talk. Uh, I'll talk more about Wichita State as we go along here. North Carolina over Seton Hall. I've got Middle Tennessee State advancing there. My 12 making it out to the uh, Sweet 16, beating, have them beating Butler. UCLA over Cincinnati. And then I've got Wichita State upsetting Kentucky. So I'm calling for all-out anarchy in the South bracket. Boy, by the way, you had Seton Hall. My bad. I picked Arkansas in that one just to want to correct the record. But – I'm with you on. I've got. I had Wichita State over Kentucky as well. To me, I, I'm going to. I think this is the reverse of what happened a few years ago mm-hmm. when Wichita State was the number one seed. And they had to play Kentucky in mm-hmm. that second. Remember how great that second round game yep. was when those two teams played. By the way, that was a high level of basketball. I think Wichita State gets revenge. Uh, I think Kentucky still is a little defense optional. And where this is a different Kentucky team, they got one guy down low. Bam. But really, Darian Fox and Monk are really their two offensive threats, both in the backcourt. Well, I think they match up very well with what Wichita State wants to do. I, I'm with you. I think they pull the upset here. And, and so my sweet 16 is North Carolina and Butler versus UCLA and Wichita State. But I think I think Lonzo Ball is the difference for, again, for UCLA. I think they get by Wichita State, take on North Carolina in the regional final. This is the game where I did make a change. Originally, I before I... Bracket at UCLA, but then I just thought back to all the times I've watched North Carolina this year, and how many times I've seen them just have poopy offensive possessions. I mean, just bad, just bad offensive possessions. Somebody throws the ball up at the shot at, at the shot clock to get to get it up on the rim, and one of their nine guys who are like six ten or bigger that they seem to have every year goes up and gets an offensive rebound for a putback, and I've just watched them do that over and over and over again and i just think in the end they will they will defense and rebound one or two possessions more than ucla will so i'll take north carolina to come out of this region yeah i've got north carolina matching up against wichita state and i also have north carolina coming out of the region for a final four of number two seeded duke and number two seeded arizona and number one seeded kansas and number one seeded north carolina i have duke beating Arizona. I have Kansas beating North Carolina. And I have Duke beating Kansas going on a great end-of-season run. This team is getting healthy or as healthy as they've been all season long at the right time. They did great in the ACC tournament run, the first-ever team to win four in four days and win the ACC tournament, something Jay Billis didn't think was ever going to be possible. Um, you know, that's because Duke is a team that had a lot of uh, injury uh, in the season. They lost some games early, you know, early on in the ACC play that put them behind the eight ball. They were the fifth seed in that league, and that's how they did it. And I, I just just like the look of their team. I don't think it, when they're healthy, I don't know that anybody in the country is more talented than they are. So I've got Duke beating Kansas 77-71 as my predicted score for, I think, the 19th year in a row. We have, a, we have, a, we have one Final Four team that's the same, Duke, the rest of them, and North Carolina. We both have Duke and North Carolina. Um, I've got Gonzaga beating Duke. I just have the – again, I'm going with a hunch. And I just think this is the year they finally get over the hump. And I think they have something Duke doesn't have, size. They have quickness and athleticism. 
Uh, not quite as quick and athletic as Duke, but quick and athletic enough. And they have size in the middle that Duke cannot defend. That's the one thing Duke is missing is a space eater down low. They just don't have that on this year's team. So I'm taking Gonzaga over Duke and North Carolina over Iowa State in the other semifinal. And I think North Carolina, after the way they lost last year's mm-hmm. game in historic fashion at the buzzer, I think losing early in the ACC tournament gives you some good motivation, too. You know, they were kind of coasting the last two weeks. They were so far ahead in the division. They ended up winning it still by two games. I think that gives you some recalibration. Roy Williams, the master motivator. I think they outlast Gonzaga 83-78 to win the national championship. All right. There you have our picks. Uh, Always one of my favorites favorite podcast we do every year back when we did the radio show together Mondays after Selection Sunday was one of the most fun is this week is just um, is just a phenomenal week and for Iowa basketball fans it gets to start on Wednesday as the Hawkeyes will play against South Dakota at 6 p.m. on ESPN2 and then of course Thursday and Friday going to be a lot of fun if you haven't done it yet go and download the FireFan app FireFan.com um, enter in uh, HN game um, and then we're going to do some 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 games for the tournament. It's been actually pretty sweet with basketball. But this is a uh, great time of year, Steve. Thank you for all the homework you did. Congratulations on your um, work against the indomitable Joe Lenardi. Uh, you did well there. And we will finish this podcast out with some audio from Iowa basketball coach Fran McCaffrey. This teleconference coming on Sunday evening after Iowa was uh, announced in the NIT. Here are some of Fran McCaffrey. Caffrey's thoughts. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon. Coach, thanks for taking your time for uh, a couple questions from the media. Let's start out with John Bollenkamp. Hey, friend. Um, your reaction tonight to being the number one seed and, and, and kind of the road you have, what, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I was, you know, I was thrilled that, you know, we were recognized. Uh, you know, I felt like we were... You know, right there for the NCAA tournament, so to be given a one seed is a great accomplishment for our players. Uh, but, you know, I have unbelievable respect for the quality of teams in this tournament always have. So, you know, it really doesn't matter what you're seated now. you just got to beat a really good team that won over 20 games to advance, and that's just kind of how we're looking at it.
to have to let your team go through this, this kind of experience where they're going to be in those one-and-done games and they're going to have to you know, different teams they've never seen before. I guess how valuable can that be for a young team? Very valuable, uh, especially when the team's really good. Uh, yeah, this team, you know, number one seed in their conference tournament, won 22 games, multiple double-figure scores. They make threes. You know, they don't turn it over. I mean, they have more assisted turns. You know, so this is a team that's really good, very well-coached team. You know, so uh, you know, we, we have to, like you said, process information very, very quickly. That's what you have to do when you get to tournament play uh, in order to advance. And you've got to be able to assimilate that information and execute it on the floor. And then you've got to do it again and again and again and again. And, and that's, that's what playing in March is all about. And, uh, you know, we're just thankful for the opportunity. Fran, um, their uh, point guard, Trey Dickerson, who was on your team, um, thoughts about going up against him? Have you kind of kept track of how he's done this year? Well, I watched him against uh, Nebraska, you know, getting ready for Nebraska, and I Trey played well. You know, I was happy for him. You know, he's had a good year. His numbers are good. And, uh, you know, so obviously I know the qualities that he has. You know, he's quick. He can score. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that's, you know, an older guy that you know, has kind of been around, been through a lot. You know, was a Juco. was a great player in Juco, played the Big Ten, sat out a year, and now he's, you know, really doing well there. So, Obviously, he has our full attention. Yeah, Fran, obviously, this team is out of the same uh, conference as Nebraska Omaha, so you'll at least have some common opponents there. Is that, um, does that help at all if they're going against this team? No, no. You know, the fact that they're in the same conference is, is kind of irrelevant. They're, you know, they're just two, two good teams that are dramatically different. John? Since you got back from the Big Ten tournament, have you practiced all what you kind of have a sense on what's the mood of the team is right now? Yeah, we had a great practice today. You know, we watched some film and we had a good hard workout. And obviously, we didn't get home until I left, but uh, I wanted to get to the state tournament. But the guys got home, you know, Friday evening at six or seven o'clock. We obviously didn't do anything Friday, and then we, you know, Saturday they were off. We got him going today. Uh, yeah, obviously you know a lot about Trey's game. Can that help in preparation? Stuff you can tell Jordan, or has his game changed a lot since he left here? I, I think he's continued to mature as a player. You know, he always, you know, had talent, and uh, you know, I just think, you know, over time, he's sort of put it all together, and uh, you know, so you got to give him credit for that. So yeah, I mean, you know, we'll, you know, I, I don't think it's any different, quite honestly, than you know, getting ready to play Indiana or anybody else. Like, you know, we'll, we'll we'll have that person figured out, regardless of whether they played here or not. Scott, yeah, when, uh, after Thursday, I mean, what was kind of your mindset about the tournament? Were you holding out hope that it was going to be the NCAA? Did you watch the bracket reveal today, or, or did you feel like that NIT was the likely possibility? You know, I, I think you always hold out hope, but I mean, I don't. 
we had a meal, and, you know, so we just kind of waited, you know, to say, okay, let's see what our fate, you know, if, if our name came up, that would be great. If it didn't, let's wait and see what happens with the NIT. But we knew we'd be playing, and we just wanted to get our guys ready. Jeremiah? Yeah, friend, how does the sort of environment of a tournament change when you're playing games at home? I mean, do you just, do you approach it like a tournament, or do you approach it like a, a home game? We just approach it as the next game. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of what happens after that, you don't win, nothing happens after that. So, you know, it's just like the next game on our schedule happens to be here. That, that's great. Uh, but, you know, we'll watch film and we'll put a scout report together and we'll, you know, have a couple workouts and, and then uh, hopefully we'll play well. Mark? And obviously, to get so close to the NCAA tournament, they'd be one of those uh, first four out, I guess. That could be viewed as a missed opportunity by your players. I mean, do you address that with them, like, specifically? No. Hey, you got to kind of refocus here? Or? No. No, I don't. I, 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 I you know, analyze the Indiana game, what we did right, what we didn't do right. And hopefully we'll learn from that experience. And then, uh, yeah, we'll just shift right to South Dakota, what we have to do to try to beat them. Uh, hey, Fran, what was last night like for you to see your uh, sons win a state title? You know what, Tom? It was awesome. I mean, it, it was one of the greatest feelings. I mean, I remember, you know, when, when Connor won it, that was unbelievable because he was only a freshman. But to have both of them not only win it, but the, you know, they both played extremely well in the championship game. And, you know, I think there was a lot of pressure on that team all year long. They were sort of number one team most of the year, number one seed, expected to win it. It's a lot of pressure. You know, so to see them, you know, enjoy it, especially, you know, Connor's been buddies with those guys since we got here and he was in sixth grade, you know, and they were all over at the house last night, stuff like that. So, you know, just to see a group of guys be such good friends and and to accomplish something like that together was amazing. Tom? Yeah, Fred, I'm just wondering um, how much you, you haven't had a lot of time to, to learn a lot about South Dakota. You do know that Dean their coach. I mean, do you have any other connections with him other than Trey? Uh, well, he, he was at Nebraska. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I knew him when he was there. And uh, I have a lot of respect for him. And, and you know, I haven't studied his team yet to see if he's very similar to what you know, Nebraska does or if he's used some of their stuff and whatever. Okay, we'll go down the list one more time. John, anything else? Yeah, you, you've had a really good atmosphere for these NIT games at home. Yeah, how important is that for you guys to, to have a good crowd on Monday night? I mean, I'm sure you will, but how important will that be? Very important. You know, you want that Carver Hawkeye. Uh, arena, you know, going crazy. I mean, our fans have been tremendous this year. I've been really, really appreciative, and I think our players more so for the atmosphere that they provided us. You know, in even recent weeks, you know, we've had some great crowds. The Penn State game, the Ohio State game, Nebraska. But I just, you know, just keep going. Uh, Maryland. I mean, I just, just so many games that I remember the Purdue game. And, and when that place is like that, 
really it's really you know a, a great feeling for the players. Pat, anything else? Yeah, Fran, I'm sure as a father and a coach, you had to be pretty proud of the way Connor, I mean, I was there, the way he kind of took that game over in the second half, the way he rebounded and everything. It just seemed like he was on a mission last night. Well, you know, he recognized that that was going to be critical. When you look at the other team and, and, and the size that they had, you know, Valley was big and strong, they rebound. He had to stick his nose in there, especially when they were in the one three one and rebound rebound a weak side. Did a great job there. You know, but then also, you know, they spread the floor and, and, and sort of went four to score about the last twelve minutes of the game, which can be risky unless you have somebody that really understands how to do that. But collectively, you know, they really did a good job there cutting and moving the ball. But, you know, to watch him, you know, make every free throw and, and just keep everybody even keel, you know, was, was a great a great thing to watch. And, and then, you know, again, to watch him and his brother celebrate together was something I'll always remember. Scott? What's your opinion about having these uh, the rules changes? I mean, do you think that it's okay to do it in the NIT, or would you prefer they wait until the next year to do it? I'm fine with it. You know, I've done this before. A lot of times they've had experimental rules, you know, tournaments and different times. I've been through this. Yeah, I, I think it's fine. Jeremiah? Yeah, Brandon, I know the next game is the most important, obviously, but do you throw MSG out there as a, a goal for these guys, how cool it might be to play out there, or do you let them uh, have that conversation among themselves and let them talk about it? Well, I think the thing that, that you have to understand, you know, if you do what I do, and regardless of what I say, people are going to say that to them. And, and so okay to talk about it but what you can't do is forget the fact that to get to New York you've got to beat three really good teams and that's really hard to do and you can't sit there obviously if you don't win the first one so yeah, it's great to get to New York that's terrific it's great to play the guard yeah absolutely but that is so far down the road when you look at the teams that we would have to beat to get there and you just have to be respectful of, of those individuals or those individual teams I should say and uh, and, and play the way we're supposed to be playing because if we you know we play the way we played against Indiana we're not going to get to New York you know, that's the bottom line I mean you and I know that they know that you got to play better Mark no, I'm good guys thank you Tom? I'm good, thank you. Yep. Tom? Tom, I'm good, thank you.